0: Tap or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Okay, good day everyone. Once again, it is College Volleyball Weekly, and we've got our usual suspects on board again as always. Dan Friend of Lewis, Theo Edwards of CSUN, Jay Hosick of George Mason, and Brad Rostratter of UC San Diego. This is episode 212, if you're following on Viral Volley Media, but it's episode 9 of the 2024 NCAA Men's Volleyball Edition, and it's the Week 8 recap after nine weeks of play. So we always start with our Elf in the Room, which actually is a total blessing for me, because that covers five of the top 20 teams because of the coaches' teams, because we're going to talk about what they did this week and – Three of the 40 visit Splitsville this week, while the other one, you know, they came out 1-0, and so I had to lead the Big West. But let's go along, and let's talk about uh, – we'll start with Dan and his Lewis Flyers visiting Long Beach State.
1: Yeah, I think uh, ultimately Long Beach, as we all know, is, is really good, and we got a little bit of simon Tory effect. But I thought our guys competed well, and it's a great venue to be in. They're hosting the national championship, and uh, none of our guys had played there before, at least this current roster, and so – it was a great opportunity for them to see that venue and play when I think is certainly one of the best teams in the country. And so, and, uh, but yeah, they are probably just a little bit too much from the, the the serving line for us and we didn't manage as well as we probably wanted to. And uh, I certainly have a couple of pieces that do some things at some high level. So.
0: Well, you did get the attention of some of the opposing team's parents. They were uh, complimenting uh, Lewis's play on Friday night. We'll just give you a hint. The parents' son digs a lot, but Hey. You can figure it out from there. <laughs> uh, let's go over to Theo who uh, got the receiving end of uh, the all, all Valley karate championships with uh, Dan's team, the flyers on that Saturday night.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, a well-fought match uh, here in Northridge. Um, and Dan's team came out firing, you know, we, uh, our team had actually had been off for about 10 days prior to that. And, and it showed they kind of came out of the gate and and put it on us early. And we dropped those two early sets. And, uh, then we kind of woke up there actually was a, was a point in the match where there was a little bit of chip coming across the net and the guys (laughs) were getting after it. And if you guys know our two teams, well, you know that Lewis and CSUN are very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, the types of players we have, the kind of the grit factor is, is, uh, guys that both Dan and I love to recruit. And, uh, so, anyways, there was a moment in, in the third set where it really started to go, and uh, it kind of woke us up a little bit. And the guys came back and 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 fought pretty hard, and we won sets three and four. It came down to the fifth, and and uh, I thought they made some nice adjustments and and kind of got us in the end. But it was kind of cool. They showed us some things that that we haven't quite seen yet this season, and um, I think it's just helping us prepare. But uh, dance team did a great job. Lewis is a great team.
0: So what I hear you saying, Theo, is you swept the leg of Denny, and he came back hard in the fifth to win it.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, brain <laughs> <did his> <laughs> kick in the fifth. Actually, second.
2: I think his opposite accidentally swept the leg of his middle <laughs> knee, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he actually there was actually a, a pretty significant injury, Dan. I don't know if you can talk to that or or kind of what happened to your middle.
1: Yeah, I think he hurt his knee sack or our stud middle kind of got hurt. So he's currently out right now. So I don't know. He has, he has a doctor's appointment today at 12. And so we'll see to what extent, uh, but we always talk about that one injury here or there certainly can change the dynamic. I was happy to see our guys respond. It took a little while after that injury, you know, you know, fifth year middle, uh, it took a little bit, and, uh, but certainly great venue, great match. And as always, uh, Uh, You know, those types of matches are really fun, especially when guys get a little chippy and talk some shit. It's kind of nice. So even I got to talk. Family friendly. friendly. Even (laughs) Oh, sorry.
2: Sorry. Even I got to talk.
1: (laughs) Even I got to talk. I think me and Theo both got to talk to the refs a little bit too. So that was always. (laughs)
2: Oh, without a doubt. Well, you know, I I think what what I love about this game and, and the culture of our teams is the injury happens and it had been really, really chippy leading into it. And the injury happens. And as soon as his middle got hurt, my guys were really concerned and they felt bad. Like they didn't, they don't want to see things like that. Right. Like, obviously we're competing, we're having fun, but you don't want to see anybody get hurt, especially not a guy like, like sack. Who's, uh, you know, obviously a big part of what Lewis is doing and um, a great player. So I wish him nothing but the best, seriously.
0: Well, let's get the other coaches takes on uh, any of the matches that Dan or Theo were a part of since Dan's already had two back-to-backers uh, with big West teams. But uh, Jay and Brad, do you have anything to add on, any of those matches yeah I, I think
3: dan nailed it on the head. you know long beach does some pretty nice things and they uh they're not exactly the the speed uh that they used to be uh, a few years ago but they are definitely the talent uh and torby is somebody that if if you're not paying attention to him you know why are you being paid what you're being paid but if you are paying attention to him he's still going to get his kills he's still going to block he's still going to serve the son of the ball so i think that was um that was a good fight by De- so didn't go the way he wanted but the all inland empire karate gym match uh if you will was a lot of fun to watch and i, and I agree uh with theo i like to recruit kids like that too and i think uh you know lewis and northridge and us and there's a few other schools around the country we tend to get the kids that maybe didn't get the scholarship offers at the bigger name programs and they come in with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. And I like a little moxie too. I'm all right with a little shit duck through the neck. Doesn't hurt anything. It actually oh, family-friendly again. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only the second one to do it. You didn't give Dan the warning. Why am I getting the warning? Jeez Louise,
1: you're like didn't give Dan the warning. He, he gave me the he gave me the slap on the wrist. Uh,
3: yeah, I didn't see that. Uh but you know that's that's uh that's the indicative of both programs. And when when you get a little chippy through the net, if you're if you've ever watched men's volleyball at any level there's going to be a little bit of moxie going on and that's okay. We're not, we're not getting the, you know, to fisticuffs. We're not throwing blows. We're just having a little bit of fun between the net and chipping a little bit and getting under somebody's skin. And there's nothing wrong with it. I myself had this weekend an incident where that kind of happened and it just, you know, it is what it is, but uh, it's fun to watch two guys that I know getting after it. And, and obviously one of them came away with the W, but it was a great match to watch. I unfortunately only got to watch the last, 10 points of the the fourth game and watch the fifth. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a battle and, uh, and I appreciated watching it. And I liked what, uh, what was going on. Yep.
4: Brad, your take. Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch the Lewis Long Beach match, but uh, I got to tune in. I saw the third set. I think I saw some of the chippiness that these guys were referring to and um, definitely was fun seeing. I actually saw Theo and Dan, trip back and forth a little bit and i don't know if they were chirping at each other or the the r2 but um definitely was entertaining i was like oh there we go <laughs> uh i was bummed with dan's attire i was really expecting suit and tie and if not tuxedo because <laughs> apparently it's a fancy podcast now because well, you have uh, to use which we'll get to that later now, We're informal don't worry
0: matching red
3: shoes i thought that was cute <laughs> <laughs> both, both, staff are matching. both staffs yeah.
1: had matching red yeah. shoes. We planned that, just so you guys know. That so. seems to
4: be a new trend, the staffs matching across the board, which, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is what it is. Uh, but volleyball-wise, uh, really evenly matched. I think uh, we had Lewis was a little bit better offensively um, throughout. CSUN was a little bit better in serve-receive. Um, and their serve scored a few more points, got a few more aces. Um, but Lewis served in at, what, it was like 88% uh, at a pretty ridiculous rate. So that creates a lot of stress over the course of a five-set match um, on the setter, on the offense, to having to be able to attack consistently um, against a well-coached, well-formed, team that Lewis will have. Um, but definitely fun to see, um, you know, I think two two good setters with Morgan and Constable. Going at it um, was uh, probably my favorite matchup to see. Well, I
0: thought it was interesting is so you got Dan's guys, uh, Max, Rocky at thirteen kills, Sever Drolsom at ten, and then on the other side, of Net, you Kyle Hobbs lighting it up for twenty-five kills just by himself. So obviously uh, your guys are spreading that a little more, and and uh, Hobbs had the hot hand. So uh, pretty sure if I,
1: if I had Kyle Hobbs, he'd had four video attempts in my gym too. Just so you know, that guess pretty good. <laughs>
2: let's go to
0: our other splitsville match of the week and that's uh involving jay Haas because he takes on luke's golden eagles of the university of charleston uh wow that's quite the battle there jay well if
3: if you're not paying attention to charleston they're they're a good team uh i think 75 or 80 percent of their servers are all foreigners um and those kids come in and they've got a big chip on their shoulder you know they're they're playing with big teams and I know they're coming out this week to see, uh, see Theo and a couple of other teams out there. Um, you know, they, they, they bring it. Uh, they got a couple of guys. They can bring it from the service line. They got a kid named Raz, Jesse Delaney, uh, who are Delancey. Yeah. The last time I checked, he touches 18 feet uh, and literally uh, was hitting over the top of one of our guys who touches almost 12 feet. I and mean, was just hitting over the top of him. It was stupid. Um, and so that first night, I didn't think we responded very well uh, to a couple of points here and there that I think could have made the difference. You know, we lost the last two sets in Deuce. And, uh, you know, it's a good team. And, uh, you know, the next night we made a couple of adjustments and, and went out and, and kind of a similar result in games one and two. And then, you know, had to had to fight our way back. We were down 2-1 and, and luckily pulled it out. We were down, I think, 14-11, I think, at one point, And uh, ended up or 13-9 or something like that and ended up winning the game. Uh and that uh was a big win for us. I think I think Charleston thought it was in the bag and and we had a couple of other things for them. So um it, Charleston's good. There's no doubt about it. If you if you uh if you understand men's volleyball and how it's going these days, these division two teams and a lot of these foreign heavy teams, they've got kids that can ball across the net. So uh it was I was proud of my guys to grind one out. Uh
0: but yeah, one on one on the weekend with that kind of team in their place, I'll take it. From a non-coaching dude here on the other side of the screen. I looked at uh Reese Justin Lancey's numbers. Night one, 10 kills, and then second night, 27. What adjustment did they make to get him that offensive production?
3: Well, they they literally just went, Hey, there he is. Let's give him the ball. And uh, <laughs> they just it up to him and and he would just go over the top and just, you know, pop it down on the court. It's kind of tough to to play defense behind that. He doesn't bring a ton of heat it's not like he has an Ethan Champlin arm where it's just coming at you at a million miles an hour um, or Camden Gianni, where it's just, you know, he's, he's bringing the heat from, from all different places. He just goes over the top of you and it's hard to block that for obvious reasons. And, you know, maybe it was a mistake. They didn't leave him in the front row in the last couple of points of the game, but you
0: know, we'll take it and, uh, and ended up with a W and that was good. Yep. Any yeah, other coaches takes on the Charleston George Mason matchup?
4: Yeah, I, I thought just, it came down to you had Liam Friend for Jay and then Ross Jesse Delancey, who was SIAC player of the year at Benedict College last year and just an impressive athlete. And obviously that performance in night two, um, but I think Liam French also had a hell of a performance. I don't know if it was night one or night two, Jay, but I think it was like 22 kills, a couple aces and some blocks. Um, so I thought those two players specifically stood out. And then also for Charleston, granted we play them on Wednesday, so – um, watched a little bit more on and that side of things, but I think their block was pretty good. And, um, their opposite Garrett Schnicker, um, got a lot of swings, wasn't super terminal all the time, but pretty effective through his 60 plus swings. He had over two two matches. Yep. Dan.
1: Yeah. I just, I think getting a road conference win against a great team is always good. I mean, Jay gets a split on the road and, uh, you know, I, I'd still go back a little bit. I, I want Charleston to schedule a little tougher in the beginning of the year. Where does that set the table for them? I mean, they got some really good players, and and certainly it's probably a philosophy, but I, I think when you challenge yourself early and it puts you in the conference play, how does that set the table? But uh, And I think you'll just see them continue to battle with the, the rest of the EVA conference games. But, yeah, I think this West Coast swing will be interesting. How does Char- Charleston fare, and uh, how do they do against a c- couple of the teams that's going to um, be in front of them?
2: So Yeah. Anything else to add, Theo? Yeah, I mean, obviously with us playing them this week, um, we'll be studying these matches pretty closely. And uh, you know, I saw that Delaney numbers, the 27 kills, I was like, Oh, that's nice. But then to see he also hit 524 while he did it, <laughs> that's absolutely shocking. I mean, that's Jay took the block that's- away, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I agree with Dan. I think to get it to get a road split against a team like that for for Jay and, and George Mason, I think that's a just a fantastic job and obviously those guys are playing some pretty good ball and you know hopefully uh Brad exposes some of their weaknesses for us on Wednesday and when they come here on Friday we can be ready for them there we go it's a
0: team effort here yeah
3: hopefully hopefully their setter is healthy I know he went down in the fifth uh with with a a head injury but I don't know how serious it was I'm hoping he's in because uh when he's in there
0: he runs a good offense yeah yeah, hopefully uh, everything works out all right for their, hit their trip out. Let's go to the uh, conference leading, the Big West conference leading, UC San Diego Tritons, who are 1-0 with the only Big West match happening so
4: far this season. And that's Brad Rostrader. Uh Talk about your match this week. First off, we had a college, former College Volleyball Weekly contributor in the stands, and I wanted to see if you guys could guess who it was. Oh. David
1: Hunt.
4: Yeah. That wasn't very fun. I thought you guys were all going <laughs> to go with Barnett there, with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with his son being on the team. Um, oh, he, uh, what was the explanation why he was there is what I want to know. <laughs> uh, he was working at a uh, college clinic in the area. Gotcha. The local clubs out here. Um, but, yeah, it was funny. Uh, after the match, seeing him and all the burn orange and, and getting to talk with him, it was, it was great to get to talk and catch up. With his uh, two
0: national championship rings in your face?
4: Yeah, yeah. He hit me a few times in the arms. I'm still bruised from it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for our match, it was uh, it was a battle. And Santa Barbara has been cycling through a few different lineups. They've been going back and forth with Baglio and Walmer, um, which were two setters that we didn't know who we'd see. They've been moving around three different outsides between Court, Berg, um, and then Patrick Kane, not the hockey player. Um, and we were really intrigued to see what they would end up doing. And um, with really, they had two weeks off. They played Cal Lutheran last week. So we didn't really um, have much to see or much to look at in terms of what they were going to do. So they came out, they had a little bit different lineup, but pretty similar to what we were expecting. And then uh, we, uh, we didn't play great uh, in serve or serve receive, but we played well enough to create some chaos for them. And our block defense did a good job slowing them down and, um, really neutralizing everyone but Jess Bianchi. He still is good. Um, crazy concept. Uh, that if you're good in January, you're still gonna be good <laughs> in February. But uh, from there, you know, after we won the first two sets, Rick made some changes, got a new outside in there, got a new middle in there, got the um, got the other setter in there and being Walmer. Um, and they came out with a bunch of energy and and um, really played a lot cleaner in set three and our our serving broke down. And then step four, we kind of bounced back up, and and we're able to finish it off. So nice being the first Big West match, and even nicer coming out on top of that first Big West match. And now we're on to Charleston and Irvine this week. Yep.
0: Any other coaches want to chatter in or chime in on uh, Brad's match against UC Santa Barbara?
3: Yeah, Santa Barbara is retooling this year. Uh, there, you know, Rick is a, a very well-established and well-respected coach, and and knows what he's doing, and. You know, he's, he's got some players that he's kind of rotating around to see what, what'll work, you know, he's, I think a lot of teams are are figuring out probably a large part of their, their, their starting group by now, uh, and Rick's still figuring some things out and some players are responding first nights and maybe not the second and kind of retooling a little bit, but you know, Santa Barbara is still a scrappy team. I mean, just ask UCLA, if they can, if they're not paying okay. attention, you know, they can get them by so. Yeah, it's a fun match to watch. And, and kudos to
2: uh, to Brad and his team. It's a nice win. Yep. Anyone else on the screen wanna uh, chime in? Yeah, I think I'll just chime in about Sebastian Lara um transfer from Loyola, right? Yeah, Loyola and Santiago Canyon, Orange Coast College. Yeah, I mean he's 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 been a lot of places, but a really talented kid, super talented arm, and um, you know, nice to see him get in and have some production. Uh, but to have this early, you know, for those that don't know, San Diego and Santa Barbara are the furthest two distances, essentially, in the Big West. And so splitting up those matches, giving them an opportunity to to uh, to play in different weeks rather than having to play the back to back, which is traditional for all of the other Big West teams. Um, nice to get an early Big West matchup and, and have that that volleyball being played uh, in February. Kind of cool don't
3: uh, don't let Hawaii hear you say that Santa Barbara and San Diego are the two furthest away from each other
2: because Hawaii yeah, they don't they don't count Jay they're an island
3: and <laughs> across America never got to Hawaii
1: <laughs> okay. my, my only added piece was I'm not sure you want to play Santa Barbara in the first round of the conference tournament yeah
0: no one wants to play Santa Barbara in the first round
1: I know you, everybody might- liked it Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see where he's at in a month and where his pieces and tools are at. Now he's doing things because they certainly have some talent. I think kudos to Brad for taking care of him. But I think it'll be interesting to see where those guys are at in about six weeks. So Yeah. Well, let's go into the uh, rest of the play, which still a bunch
0: of Splitsville matchups. Let's start off with number 12, Loyola at Lindenwood. And in that series was interesting because he saw the return of Dan Mangun on night two of that matchup, after Lindenwood upset Loyola on night one, and he comes up with a 52 assist, ace, three block assist, and seven dig performance. But let's talk about the entire series there, guys. That's a uh, Dan. Uh, why don't you take a shot at it since it's your home conference?
1: Well, I, I told you Lindenwood was good. We saw it firsthand ourselves, and so, um, you know, certainly, and then Lindenwood had to uh, or Loyola had to play back to back, uh, down there. Um, so but uh, yeah, you know, I think, um Not surprised with seeing Dan Magnum out there. I'm a big fan of him. He's a super good setter. We know he hurt his wrist in the fall and was working his way back. So I think it was only a matter of time before the door opened and you see him step in and really capitalize and take an opportunity. Uh, I'd be shocked if he doesn't stay in that role for them, but they certainly have two other talented setters, but he just brings a ton of experiences and been in that role for a while. So uh you know compliment to him uh getting in there and take care of business um but yeah lindenwood's going to beat some teams in conference they've got some pieces you saw ian Schuler go off the first night um in terms of that you know, it was really good and uh but they've got this three pin system and a, a senior setter uh, who's been around who does a nice job as, uh, of running the offense and so uh but yeah splits feel like you said so not surprised with that so
0: yeah any other coaches on the uh, Loyola Lindenwood series? Uh, I'll just comment. I mean, there were
3: five split matches this weekend. Uh, <laughs> and I, I know we're talking about Lindenwood and Loyola, but Harvard, Princeton, us and Charleston, UCLA, BYU, Pepperdine, Stanford, Linden, Loyola. I mean, those are all top quality teams. And, you know, Dave Hunt used to talk about it all the time. What adjustments are being made by coaches and players from night one to night two. And, you know, that Ian, uh, what's his last name? Schuler. Ian Schuler 410 really? uh and had three aces in 10 digs. That's that's pretty good, pretty good stat line for the young man. And uh Lindenwood, Joe's building that program to be uh a, a real contender uh in the future years for the Amoeba. And it's taking him a little while to get to that point, but he's doing it the right way. Uh and he's got players that are are like Northwest, like Lewis, they got a little chip on their shoulder. And I like that and you know they come in they play hard they're a good group of guys uh and it's going to be neat to see them come tournament time they're like Santa Barbara I'm not sure you really want to see them in the first round because that's going to be a little bit hard for somebody
0: well it's Connor Sheehan the setter for Lindenwood had 54 assists on night one so uh yeah that's a new name we've been seeing pop up on the uh, stat line but some great numbers for him anything else on the uh, Lindenwood uh Lewis (laughs) Loyola series
2: I just think it's interesting the way that the Miva is shaping up. Um, you you know, it, it's starting to feel like the uh, the late MPSF in the sense that when you, right before the MPSF and the Big West split, you just had a lot of really, really tough teams and the conference was big. There was a lot of numbers and and, you know, again, you're starting to see scheduling is going to play a really, really big role in how some of these teams fare out. And I think the Miva has one of the most complex weird interesting schedules i've ever seen and uh i think at some point it's going to be a topic of conversation about how do you how do you make that as as level playing field as possible and um i know i've asked a bunch of the coaches in the MIVA about the scheduling and like hey, what is the deal with this and all of them are like are you ready for a 45 minute conversation because i can write you a book um but it's uh, it's it's awesome it's awesome to see the talent it's awesome to see the the parity and you know we're talking about it all the time in our game but it's uh it's just great to see the competitive nature across the entire conference.
4: Yeah.
0: Anything else on that one? I if just not, thought got
4: whatever's what's going on with the Loyola second outside they have the um Tabicovic. Yeah, um, yes. Tabicovic. He's locked in but then we saw Colton Burks return to the lineup we saw yeah, Jack Yents um, get a little bit more playing time. So obviously Jake Reed had been in that spot prior. So seeing where they end up settling down there or don't know what happened with Jake. But um, I thought that was interesting to see how that unfolded over the back-to-back.
0: Yeah. Well, let's jump over there. Otherwise, other Splitsville matchup, which Jay alluded to already. UCLA at BYU for two. And honestly, I started watching on night one and kind of tuned out and saw the end result. I was like, whoa, I shouldn't have I should have stayed in. But uh thoughts on the uh, UCLA BYU matchup. That's number four UCLA at number eight BYU.
4: Who wants to jump in? So I saw this one as pretty interesting and getting to watch most of night two. Um, and just you know, the dynamic of you know, night one, Champlains Libero to night two. He ends up moving to the left side in the middle of the match and um and then becomes the best attacker on the court, um, which is something I'm sure these guys are going to touch on. But uh, I think it it really showed to me that BYU is going to be a legit contender and, and really tough for people to beat. Um, you know, where it really stands is uh, both teams over the two matches, they played 10 sets. UCLA sided out at 70.0%. BYU sided out at 69.9%. <laughs> and wow. like we talk about all the time, the margins being so small. But I when I saw that, I was like, that makes sense. And with how the matches unfolded and some of the lopsided um, set scores throughout, um, it was uh, it was a really interesting number. But I, I think both those teams are gonna be really hard to beat and potentially could be making a run in the NPSF tournament and the national tournament without a doubt. Well, yeah.
3: and let's and let's talk about this for a second. Uh, first of all, UCLA holds the edge now in the head to head competition by two points, and <laughs> nobody likes playing at BYU in conference playoff time. Nobody, it's a tough place to be. Uh, and now UCLA has that edge. Should it come down to it, the MPSF, there's going to be somebody left home who is well deserving of being on that in that final eight, so to speak. Secondly. Don't- uh, Ethan Champlin, who's my player, one of my Player of the Weeks, by the way. <laughs> um, first of all, the kid had how many? 14 kills in two games as an outside hitter. And one of those games was a 15-point game. Let that sink in for a second. Uh, if he's he hits not, 650
2: too, Jay. He hits yeah,
3: I was going to mention that. Yeah, 650 as well. And one error only, reminiscent of one Micah Ma'a, who years ago, when he, they were playing up at BYU in the fifth set, I'm just going to paraphrase what I think happened in the fifth set, right going into it, Mike Ma talking to John Sparrow. Uh, Hey, coach, just give me the ball every time. I got it. I'm going to win it. We got it. And coach went, okay. And Mike, I think, had 90% of the sets given to him in that fifth game, and he won it single-handed. Ethan Champlin did the same. You want to talk about an absolute baller. And there was a stat that their announcers, I think Jared, uh Jerem and, and his other guy talked about. It. You want to hear another stat? There are three all Americans sitting on that bench. So when you reload, the bullets you're reloading with are the exact same. And he just goes like this and goes, Yep, oh, you don't have it tonight. We're putting this guy in over here. Oh, still same. Oh, you don't have it. But hey, you can hit. Let's put you in the outside instead. I mean, it's a ridiculous ridiculous number to have depth wise, but it was a super fun match to watch. Uh The crowd got their money's worth. Um And man, two teams that are at the top of the heap for sure. But BYU is starting to figure it out. Yep. Anyone you talk again? about
1: that, Brad, that offensive clip, but what night two, wasn't it 52 serving errors for both teams between the two teams together? Yeah. Yeah. Have something like that. Just like I mean, I get it. I know you want to serve tough, but woo, that's
0: a <laughs> I lot. I mean,
4: that's not that bad though. In the five, oh. it's not. It's a little bit above average, but it's not crazy. And plus the air at Provo. Remember, you have to
1: factor that in because that's a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I don't care what you said. Thirty-two is a lot for one team to have in my book. Do you know what I mean from that standpoint? So, well, Nate,
2: isn't that the team that won? Who had thirty-two? I know. I know.
1: So imagine if they had twenty-two?
2: maybe it's not tough enough to win who knows
1: maybe i don't know Yeah, yeah,
0: our listeners don't have the uh, benefit of video to see theo's response to that
1: (laughs) (laughs) different theories you know different theories i got it so
2: (laughs) i think the the interesting thing to point out and we we talked about this early on ucla has a ton of talent and their depth is 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 real i mean it's really really impressive and jay was alluding to that a little bit but Last year, they were a national championship team, and Ethan Champlin was on the left. And we talked about how incredibly impressive it is for a guy like Ethan Champlin to say, hey, I'll play libero. Can we play libero? I'll play libero. And I'll be a great libero, right, at that. Now, they have some other great weapons that you bring in on the left to go and replace Ethan Champlin, but they're not national championship proven outsides. We've seen Ethan Champlin compete for a title. And so it's interesting to see him go back to the left as if he's, I don't know if he's training there in practice or not while he's in that libero swing. 14 kills, one error, 650, and gets right back into the swing of I'm a national championship guy. So put me on the left. Um, I think it's gonna be really difficult to keep him away from that position. And trying to find somebody else to fill the libero spot is a real question mark for UCLA. And it might be the thing that keeps them from being a top one or two team for the rest of this season. I can't wait to watch and see exactly how it unfolds. But I think Ethan's got to be on the left, and it creates a hole for that team, for sure.
3: This just in, I heard Ethan is playing middle blocker next weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And and will lead the country in kills and hitting percentage per set.
0: Well, Theo, I just have to correct one stat, because they do have someone who was the most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament. stepped in to play libero and that would be alex knight on night two so
2: yeah and and alex knight obviously a a fantastic talent is he a national championship libero (laughs) well
3: he's he's definitely winning the height of all liberos in the country
2: (laughs) he's the highest jumping libero that's for darn sure
3: (laughs) yeah that's uh, a
0: pretty pretty stupid stat to have jeez (laughs) Great ball in Provo between two top eight teams. Let's go to our next one. Number five, Stanford at number 10 Pepperdine. Another Splitsville match. And I'll let one of you guys say, let's go with Brad because that was his former uh, stomping ground. So,
4: yeah, it was. Uh, I was really intrigued to see the lineup change from night one to night two. And basically, Stanford going with Will Rotman. And I don't know if he's healthy or playing through whatever he's dealing with. Um, but he looked just fine in terms of his performance. He, he played great, and uh, it's no shock that you throw him in the lineup and then the other pins get a little bit better. The other, the setter feels a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you know, I thought one thing Pepperdine did really well was neutralizing the middle attack. Um, Ethan Hill, Adam Chang, both were held down. Uh, Nathaniel Gates performed pretty well. He hit about 400, um, had eight kills, nine kills, if I remember correctly. Um, but, uh, I thought overall just Stanford's pins were, um, uh, more dominant on night two. And then Pepperdine's pins were better on night one. And that was pretty much what it came down to. And I thought Pepperdine, Ryan Barnett, which was someone who hadn't been in the lineup a ton, came out and performed great. Um, I could look up the numbers, but, um, he stood out to me as someone that like hadn't been playing and, and then he's in the lineup and he's playing really well and giving them a, a nice spark.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Barnett had 20 kills, hit 389, four blocks, six digs, or 22 points. But that was night two. We got to find the night one stat. But anyone else want to talk about
1: that Stanford Pepperdine matchup? I was just uh, Brad mentioned uh, Barnett. I thought you know good to see him on the lineup, and yeah, two good nights. He was good the first night too. I think so. Hit 600. Uh, I think 14 kills or 13 kills or something. So, um, so certainly seeing a guy that we know is pretty talented plugged into the lineup, and um, I still feel like Pepperdine like. Is figuring out the right pieces. You know what I mean? I think Stanford knows the right pieces when they're healthy. I think Pepperdine's kind of figuring it out a little bit. I've seen, we've seen a couple lineup changes and certainly I've watched them a few times. And so uh and I think they're figuring it out and are continuing to get better. So
3: I I, I agree with Dan. And Pepperdine is usually by this time they've figured out what they're what the right fit is for everybody and they're still tooling things around a little bit and you know, Akinwumi arguably is, is a player that could probably play all three positions um, and, and be successful. And he's moving around a little bit. And so, um, you know, Stanford, Stanford's got a lot of guys that can bring it. And a lot of upperclassmen that are, you know, wanting to, wanting to make a name for themselves. So kudos to uh, Kossi and his crew, but yeah, I think, I think Pepperdine's kind of figuring it out still.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, was it a Barnett's night one numbers: twelve kills, zero errors, six sixty-seven, six digs, and thirteen points. So, you're correct in that uh, Barnett is having a great weekend of play and really picking it up for Pepperdine. Um, that brings us to, well, one of the uh, the teams that we have mentioned: CUI at UC Irvine. Worked one of them, watched the other one, and uh, one of the things that really stuck out for me is. Sure, William Darcy's now in the lineup, and he's beginning to get a groove onto that system. But it's the play of Akil Tangatour, the OH2 that stepped in for Nolan Flexen, who's been so good in serve, receive, and defensively. And he just chips in a couple numbers, but he's provided such great balance to the Irvine attack, which is running pretty quickly. And it kept me thinking, because of one of your guys' comments last week about Brett Stewart's beard game, like, Dan's got a really good beard game. So... (laughs) Irvine goes out two 3-0 sweeps of uh, CUI, but, uh, you know, we'll, let's go to Jay since that's his uh, alma mater for his master's.
3: Nice. Uh, <laughs> two places that I either worked or got my uh, master's degree at. Um, you know, UCI and, and Concordia used to be, uh, in my eyes, a pretty hotly contested match. You know, Concordia was kind of the little brother, so to speak, and they always kind of got, you know, the, the shorter end of the stick, if you will in terms of recognition that they deserved and the coaches over the years kept building that program up and unfortunately just never really got the full support that it gets. And I hope that happens sometime soon, but you're right. Take is an experienced veteran. You know, he's been there. He's been a starter. He's been non-starter, but he's always there waiting to go. And he just comes in and get the job done. He doesn't thump his chest. He's not, you know, all loud and wild and crazy. He's kind of, you know, flies under the radar a little bit, a little blue, just blue collar getting out and getting it done. So super stoked for them on their win uh, I still think Shuey has the best beard in the game, but it's quite a few teams. You know, Dan has a guy on his team that's got a pretty strong beard game, as well as Dan having a strong beard game. So uh, that might be – this might be the year of the beard,
1: if you will.
0: <laughs> We're not counting Theo out. He's an honorable mention. <laughs> uh, it's not, not not nearly as strong. Not nearly.
1: Hey, I'll, I'll give Shuey some props. He's got a better beard right now, but – I've got longevity on the guy. So I've had my beard a long, long time, <laughs> dude. You know I mean? And lots of different phases. So I'm okay. So but props assured uh in terms of that.
0: Yep. Anything else on that matchup?
2: Yeah, I, I think the the interesting stuff, you know, I didn't have an opportunity to watch these, but obviously for, for Irvine to get both in three um and handle it well was 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 a telling sign that they're starting to put some things together and get some consistency. Um you know, Halir Heno. I would have expected in a match like this to have a ton of aces. Um, looks to me, statistics wise, he only had one through two set through, two, through both matches, um, which is a little bit surprising. I feel like he's had a little bit of trouble getting the the groove of that same off speed serve that he had last year. Last year he was able to paint it on the ten foot line and it was really tight to the net and um, hasn't been able to control it quite the same this season, so it'd be interesting to see if he starts to gather that. I'm sure by the time he's playing in Northridge, he'll have that down just fine. Um But uh but he's playing great offensively, right? 12 kills, 474 on the first night, and then also to see William Darcy really starting to put put up some production and and be a kind of a staple piece for them. He hit 409, 11 kills and eight digs, which I thought was impressive for a big guy. Big guy getting low, digging the ball. I just
0: posted uh, that rally on my Instagram is in one rally.
2: Was it all in one?
0: <laughs> it seemed like Come it. On now. Come on. <laughs> Stat
4: pattern.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought they you know, obviously Brett's doing a nice job for them. And, you know, to have the the type of outside hitter that they have that's on the bench, um, but still having the production that they have is testament to their team. They got a lot of offense. Yep. Uh, anything else to add, gentlemen?
1: Brad? no, I got I got to jump off though, guys. Sorry, but I do want to give my player of the week. It's uh John Dietrich. Uh, you saw Purdue Fort Wayne get two uh wins against McHenry, a key conference wins, and one got pushed to five. And so, pretty sure I've double checked, but I think he had 19 kills back to back nights in terms of that. And they had to squeak it out in the fifth game, uh, to go a couple extra points. But uh, yeah, again, another gauntlet Miva match, but uh, great seeing you guys. Good luck this week. So, Hope for good, good uh, going.
0: good diagnosis for Ray. Appreciate it. Get All that, right. That's fever taken care of. See you, Dan. Good luck yeah. this week. See you, Dan. Well, that leaves us four here. Oh my, what trouble can we get into?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, uh, let's go to the other matches. And it's a team that we don't get to mention that much. It's Hawaii. Who's on 11 match winning streak, played Missouri A&T twice. And if everything serves me right, that is the first time they've ever seen each other. So, um, Hawaii is, is playing with their lineup too, but they're a good team. We all know that. And we're just waiting for the brunt of the big West conference play to see that on display. But I want to get your guys thoughts on any, on Hawaii, any chatter
4: that you guys have heard. Nothing, huh? No, I mean, it's just for them. It'll, it'll, things will get going. They have this week, I think sacred heart, St. Francis, sacred uh-huh. heart, sacred heart, Um, yeah. you know, but then the week after I believe they're at long beach. So They'd, they'd jump right into the thick of it uh, in two weeks.
3: Yeah. I think the, I think the big question week is they've had a couple of weeks now where the quality of the team is maybe not at the level of Hawaii. Uh, and then this week coming up, I'm not sure Sacred Heart's going to push very much. It'll be interesting to see. You've noticed a few teams, ours being one of them, Dan's being another, uh, Theo's being another. When, when you have a couple of week break, it takes you a little while to get back into game-ready mode where you're kind of in the rhythm of things. Hawaii's starters, I'm I'm not sure if they're starting every match and then coming out or if they're using a whole other lineup to give guys play time, but come time when it goes out to Long Beach, are they going to be in that mode? Uh, and, or will it take them a little time to, to get back up to it? I don't know. I don't know what Charlie's doing. Don't claim to know, but it'll be interesting to see if that is indeed the case because why he's going to be dangerous come tournament time for sure.
2: Well, and I'll give you guys a little bit of insight. You know, the, the big West we've been, we've been, the coaches have been talking quite a bit about scheduling and specifically kind of what's going to happen in the future um, about in terms of, is the big West going to stay at six? Are we looking to potentially add some new teams, right? You've got Menlo and Vanguard and, and even potentially Stanford looking to make some adjustments in terms of their conference. Um, That's a question that's in question right now. In addition to that, we're talking about the month of February because the month of February, due to the fact that most the other conferences have started competition, the scheduling is brutal and can be really, really difficult. And obviously for a team like White, um, who's got to get on a plane and go quite a distance in order to get matches, that that February schedule is really, really complicated for them. And so I just had a a conversation with Charlie this past week and, and talking about kind of where do we where do we try and position ourselves in the future to continue to make sure that February is a really competitive month and how can we do that from a scheduling perspective to really benefit the big West. So um, I'll keep you posted on the podcast in terms of where that discussion lies, but um, it's really interesting. And I think it's a valuable one to be had for sure. Yeah.
3: I'm glad you, you talked about that. There's a few conferences that only have six teams in it. uh, NEC being one, Big West and the EIBA. And SIAC
0: so too, but they go to 7 with a new program they just had. Yeah. Added.
3: Yeah, so you you know you got you got some some problems or challenges if you will with number of sheer matches in the conference. And if you're trying to play those matches obviously in April, which is where, you know, the playoffs start, and then you look at March and you kind of shift around a little bit cuz of everybody's spring breaks doesn't leave a lot of stuff in February to be able to have to play conference matches. And so I'm interested to see what the Big West does with that. I've I've heard the rumblings. Um, I'm not, I'm not sold that they're happening yet because I'm not sure Menlo and Vanguard fit the 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 uh, the 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 scope and the volume of the programs that they're joining in. And what about the MPSF? They're going to be in that similar boat. So I know that there's applications going both directions and everybody's kind of wondering where it's going to go. There's also talk of Stanford going to the big 10 when that happens. Uh, and there's another school in the country. They're looking at adding as well. The challenge I think all conferences have moving forward is if we all remain low in numbers with the MEVA having the most right now, right. They have what nine teams or so 10 yeah. teams with all these conferences being really, really small. There's some talk of maybe a hard start happening in January which will take away a couple of weeks in January where some teams are already coming back into practice, coming back in for matches. And if everybody has a hard start, that will shrink the season a little bit, which might help with scheduling. Uh, But we don't know where that's going to fall. We don't know if it's even going to happen or not, but uh, the championships are getting pushed back a week as well. So we're adding another week with still the same amount of teams in our conferences. I think, in the next three years or so, it's going to be interesting to see which conferences add, how they add, is you know where where do they fit in the whole grand scheme of things? Do conferences combine? Uh, so it'll be interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the <clears throat> one of the challenges that that we're up against from a Big West perspective is the local teams, which are easy freeway matches. A lot of them are MPSF, and so Jay, to your point, if the MPSF absorbs another two, maybe three teams. Now their schedule starts in early February, and essentially we, we get blacked out from being able to play them any other month than January. And yeah. as we start to push back, as, as we're talking about, with the championship pushing back, everyone is trying to say, hey, let's let our guys have some time with their families around Christmas. Because right now, most teams are coming back shortly after Christmas and getting right into season. If you start to push back, you're talking about a four-week window for the inexpensive freeway matches for both the MPSF and the big West. Um, it's an interesting issue that I don't know that anybody really thought about in the foresight of the, at least the foresight of the split of the two conferences. So it'll be interesting to see where this heads and, and kind of how we mitigate it.
3: Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the topic is the Jeff Goldblum response in, uh, in Jurassic park. It's great that we could do it, but should we, and I think when the conferences were splitting apart and everybody's making their moves, Hey, that's great. We can do this now, but should we, is it, is it going to help out? And I don't think, I don't think the foresight was definitely uh, being
0: talked about for sure. Yeah. Well, we do have a third team in that's going to be coming in. You said already mentioned Vanguard and Menlo, but there's also Robert Jessup college in Northern California. William that, Jessup, William Jessup, Robert Jessup. I'm thinking maybe a Top Gun. I don't know that character Jester. Cool name, by the way. <laughs> Um, but they're um, with that, with the additional teams in, in Northern California now. Um, I'm wondering where they're going to fall. They've, I thought I've read in the releases those three are going to MPSF regardless. But
3: if if William Jessup is smart, and, I, and I'm not saying they are, or I mean, I'm not saying they aren't, <laughs> at the of words, I would just jump on board with wherever Stanford goes because that's a natural travel partner for them. Uh, it's still a two hour drive, but.
4: Stanford's going to be with Menlo, though. There no, that's also oh, true. I, I, that's,
3: that's very, very true. So Jessup might be on their own, uh, which might suck. But they'll be the Hawaii model, which is what everybody else seems to be doing these days. But it'll be interesting to see what the MPSF does because that conference, if you've been a part of it as long as all of us have, it has gone from the absolute juggernaut that it used to be with 13 or 14 teams that were just nasty to all of a sudden now having... Really small group of really, really well known teams, and then a whole host of new schools that really have no history whatsoever. And so the MPSF gets watered down a little bit, but it takes time to build a program. You never know where those teams end up in five, 10 years.
0: Yeah. Well, the other team that we need to mention because they've got an astounding 13 match winning streak in our 13 and 0 this season that would be the Grand Canyon Lopes. Um thoughts on what they're doing so far after the two wins uh at you with USC in Phoenix. And then prior to that, the two wins at BYU we already talked about.
3: Listen, I'm I'm just gonna quote Fred Durst. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. They're just (laughs) doing their job. Man, they're going out and they're crushing people. So they got my number one vote, hands down. Until somebody beats them, they're gonna be my number one. Hands down.
0: Ooh, look at that strong and then. Brad or Theo, anything else to add on uh, Grand
1: Canyon?
4: I mean, they're just playing with a lot of poise right now. And there was even a stretch. They're up 2 0 on USC night two. And I think SC was up 24 22. And they side out, they earn a point, and they end up winning 29 27 after um, an ace by Rico Wardlow gives them an uh, advantage. Then, you know, a couple side outs back and forth. It, they take the math and just seeing that. And it looked like Carter Rogers, at least in the live stream looked like he was um, pretty tired or maybe beat up or just kind of worn down from the back to back and, you know, and they're just humming on all cylinders, you know? And I think, um, you know, that three headed monster of Nick Slight, Gianni and Jackson Hickman, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, is supported really, really well. I thought they were libero um, from what I saw early on in the year was a question mark. And, Seems like he really has solidified his role there and really gotten um, really comfortable and receive with Hickman and Rogers uh, alongside of him. Well, it seems in the coaching circles, Nick
0: slight has also been getting a lot of the attention because he's been doing a really good job and I haven't seen grand Canyon in, in person, but you know, obviously the winning speaks for itself. So uh, doing some great jobs, he's got great options. I really feel like a, uh, Cameron Thornton and Rico Wardlow are the ignored offensive threat on that because they have the three headed monster of a uh, Gianni Rogers. And why am I, I'm forgetting the, other Oh, Hickman. So, uh, but I've watched what they've been doing. They've been, they string together points defensively and offensively.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think you're spot on, Rob. That's exactly where I was headed with this. Nick Slight is, uh, I mean, he's, he's quite a talent and, you know, I think he's one of those players that we've all seen over the years where, you know, at first, and for sure coming out of high school and, and you know, as a young volleyball player, he wasn't a guy that you necessarily was the first thing you'd notice when you walk in the gym, you know. And um, But to have the type of season that they're having right now, because um, they're not unlike a lot of the other teams. They're not just undefeated. They are beating teams with absolute consistency and every single night playing at a really high level i mean those two sweeps over byu are probably some of the most impressive wins that i've seen in the last few years uh, i mean really really impressive to go up to byu and do what they did after now watching ucla have to really battle with that team just to get one and five up there um but yeah Nick slide is i think the reason for that uh hickman is hickman's fantastic and um, I would definitely not say that we are sleeping on Rico or, you know, they're they're that middle attack that those two guys that they have is fantastic. Those guys are great athletes. They're great IQ volleyball players. Um, They play with a lot of great energy and um, you know, obviously we're not talking about Camden Gianni every single week, but we should, I mean, he's a really, really <laughs> talented player too. So this is in my book, I agree with Jay. I mean, this, this might be our number one team right now. And, and uh if they can continue this, I mean, this would be an absolute historic season. Yeah.
4: If, you're, if you're, how, if you're, how you many sets have you know. guys think Grand Canyons lost on the year? Four. I don't know. One. Oh. Three. Three. Twelve <laughs> three matches. What? So that's what thirty-six that's and three in terms of their sets. Like that's consistency. And then Long Beach, you're obviously really, really good and. Right there in that conversation, I think they've gone four in about half of their matches, you know, and that's just off the top of my head. But um, yeah, I think and I think on Rob and Theo's point with the middles with Thorne and Wardlow, I think Matt August, um, who's the assistant there with uh, Matt Worley as a head coach. Um, he's been doing a great job with those middles, whether it be Cameron Thorne getting thrown in the lineup last year as a true freshman and helping him out blocking wise and offensively. But I think, yeah they're uh they're really good and they've been good for the last two years so it's not really a shock but i think yeah. that consistency has really taken a step up
3: i got to give i got to give august a little love here he is a good coach uh also fellow irvine valley guy like myself so superstar super and you
0: see irvine and hawaii that's right
3: um <laughs> but for those of you that that want some comparison of what nick slide is doing he reminds me very much of a 15 year ago setter, uh year-ago setter, if you remember the name, Luke Murray from Penn State when they won oh, yeah. in 2008. Smaller, undersized, slides, probably 6'2 or 6'3. Luke was six foot with shoes on if he was lucky. Um, but he ran a very similar offense and he had players around him that had different needs, but he was able to provide each player with exactly the set that they needed. You could see him similar style, similar body type, similar uh ability to sling the rock around but it all looks really calm cool and collected and all he's doing he's going hey this guy's good let's go get him one let's go get this guy one and everything's in the right spot it's a lot of fun to watch
0: yeah well we will talk about camden gianni because but not for his play but realize that it was uh five years ago that uh he actually was had to be resuscitated he had died for a few seconds to late end of 2019 and i believe this we're recording near his anniversary of his procedure so uh the end of
4: yeah.
0: yeah so uh i i did the interview during covid with camden and i was like dang and then he came back became i guess as the i mean one of the jokes is freshman of the year twice but uh um but i mean he's a legitimate player and a uh, remarkable story google it he's been on so many different media shows but i mean just the uh the response of the trainer and another administrator on campus, keep him alive, then stay alive and do what he's doing now. It's a great story. Love, love was, I think Worley was the
3: guy that, that started the whole process to get him retestated. So got to give Worley a little
0: credit too. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, well with that, let's, uh, I know Dan Ray dropped his player of the week, but uh, how about you guys? Let's go. Uh, you know, Jay, I've been having you go last quite a bit. So let's have you go first this time. Yes. I got two for you. Uh Ethan
3: Champlin uh taking off the Libero jersey, putting on the outside hitter jersey for two games, fourteen kills, one error, hitting six fifty in the win against uh UC, against BYU at home or at their place. It's a massive, massive jump uh in two and a half games. The other one is uh Raz Jesse Delancey from Charleston, a guy we saw this week. He had 10 kills, hit 381 in the first night. 27 kills in 524 the second night uh the kid is no joke in an altitude space that not a lot of people have uh but um yeah he's he's got my nod for the week as well
0: yep let's go over to
4: brad oh ooh, i got two uh i'm gonna go um the three-headed monsters we were just talking about i got um gianni hickman and slight um from grand <laughs> canyon off their uh off their two-match win to start off MPSF play.
0: Oh, I thought you were going with Rodgers. <laughs> okay, that works, too. It's still a three-headed monster. But let's go to Theo.
2: Yeah, I got two as well. I'm going to go uh, Teo Snoey, right, for their victory over Pepperdine. Um, I, he's been good all year, but I thought this was a particularly good match for him specifically. Um, and then the other one is Hillier Heno. Two really, really solid performances over Concordia, uh, both over 400, both double digit kills um he's playing some pretty good ball right now
0: yeah he's coming off a week where he is both the abca player of the week and the big west player of the week and not doing it from the service line but he's finding out how to do it at the net so uh yeah we'll take those points anyway we can at irvine
4: and uh, he was my player of the week last week too so oh yeah that's
0: right that's the most important thing
4: (laughs) um Interesting week
0: coming up here in week nine, though. I had a hard time picking matches that I'd want to watch. You know, I like when I'm off and I can have like five monitors in front of me, but I actually got to work a few this week. So I can only watch like one other one while I'm working the one I'm at. So curious what you're watching. We'll go reverse order.
4: Go, Brad, what what are matches on your radar? Yeah, I mean, the reality is this week, I'm not going to be watching much volleyball. That's not, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not the teams we're playing. Uh, but uh, I think – one under the radar match that I, I wanted to talk about uh, is North Greenville versus Belmont Abbey. I believe that's for first in Conference Carolinas. Um, both those teams are five and zero, oh, five and one, but having good years out there. Um, so I think that will be a really that'll be one that sets them up for a really good spot come Conference Carolina um, tournament. Um, and then I think uh, Penn State Long Beach is going to be one that's going to be great to watch and and. Uh, Really good test for Penn State. They've been playing really good to kick off EVA play and then seeing them compete against one of the uh, top teams in the country and see how they respond after in Austin, Texas, at the first point challenge, it didn't go so well. So I think it'll be cool seeing them now that they're playing a little bit better. Brad, I figured you would have mentioned
0: that you would have had two Big West matches under your belt by the end of this week as you come to Irvine on Sunday. Three? Three? Oh, what's your –
4: Irvine comes down on Friday. Oh, I thought we were there for Wednesday. I guess I should learn my schedule better, huh? Yeah, we have Charleston <laughs> Wednesday, Irvine Friday, Irvine Sunday. Wow, full week for the uh, Tritons then, huh? Yeah, so I'm going to be real. I'm not going to watch any of these matches. So, but... <laughs> I'll still talk about on Monday.
0: <laughs> you'll, you'll just watch them in 10 minutes on uh, Volumetrics. Right. <laughs> Let's go over to uh, Theo. What what's on your uh, hot list?
2: Yeah, man, there's so many good matches that it's going to be difficult for me to pick. So I'm just going to throw a bunch out that I think are going to be really awesome. Uh, I'm going to be watching all of Brad's matches, uh, mostly because <laughs> one he's playing Charleston, which obviously we are too. So we'll be we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Um, also, I, I think the the Lindenwood mckendry matchup I think is going to be really really interesting, super high level and I think, you know, those two teams are both playing some pretty good ball right now. Obviously, Lindenwood coming off of some big wins last week and uh, McKendree licking their wounds. So it would be interesting to see how that team bounces back. Um, and then you've got Princeton and George Mason, which I think is going to be one hell of a matchup. Obviously, an EIVA matchup. Um, now, is that at home, Jay, or is you on the road?
3: No, we are on the road against Princeton Friday, and we play home against St. Francis on Saturday.
2: Okay. So you're in New Jersey, middle of the suburbs. Yeah, that's going to be a great matchup. Can't wait to see that. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I think the Stanford GCU match, right? So obviously we're talking about the three-headed monster. we're talking about Nick Slight, but the return of Rotman and maybe a potential week under his belt of getting healthy and getting up to up to speed, be interesting to see how GCU handles Stanford.:
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Good calls. Over to Jay.
3: Uh, I too think that North Greenville, Belmont Abbey is going to be good to watch because we have not been giving Conference Carolinas enough pub this this year. Not because they're not deserving, but because there's just a lot of other teams that are maybe doing things a little bit of higher clip. But two very good programs fighting for first place in their conference. Uh, I too uh, will be watching Penn State Long Beach. You'll see where Penn State falls in the whole grand scheme of things. Uh, I will be watching Loyola and Ohio State, uh, see how Loyola responds after getting beat by Linwood and also uh, losing Ohio State in five the first time they saw him. So I want to see how they respond there. I also will be watching, sponsored by Fred Durst, uh, Stanford versus Grand Canyon, see if Grand Canyon can keep it rolling, rolling, rolling. Um, but here's the match of the week sponsored by Kangaroo Shoes. CSUN versus (laughs) Charleston. Both teams have a guy that touch 18 feet and (laughs) they're facing off against each other in front of the another thing. So you got Jesse Delancey and you got Jalen Phillips, both who played an altitude that the rest of us need binoculars to be able to see. These guys are going to be battling it up in the NASA zone. It's going to be crazy. (laughs) And I don't know who's going to win it because they're both really, really good teams. It'll be interesting. And I will be watching that with binoculars because I won't be able to see them either. They'll be out of the gym. They're going to be on the screen and bouncing out of it like the old volleyball games. You won't be able to see them. So
0: there's no need for the dome at the Matter Dome because these guys will oh, be flying
3: out of it. You can't contain them. You can't. You just got to
0: hope that they come back
3: down and don't break an ankle, for Christ's sakes. These kids are just <laughs> giant flyers.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to pick one because no one named this one out there. LA Crosstown Series, UCLA and USC. Yeah, one's four, the other is in the 10 range, but you throw that out the window when it's a Crosstown rivalry between these two schools because you know they want that Lexus Cup. <laughs> they want those bragging rights in their gym. So, and the fact of the matter is USC's got some really good things going on between Duker and Klein, really picking it up for the team, but they've got middles that just Aren't getting the the love that they should be getting in Kyle Paulson and um, West Smith because they are playing some good ball in the middle and West Smith is seven foot. I I mean, he, and he's a thick kid for a freshman. So well McCregan at
3: UCLA six eleven, so that
0: that cancels out. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we've got a lot of great matches. Uh, still Big West only at three matches apparently now. Brad corrected me and this is really Sayak goes in the full effect this week also but interesting on their schedule they're playing some of those teams twice in the same day so uh, I guess that's a, you know the, the, how they've had to work it out but we'll start seeing some psychic records as well as we go on but uh, with that that concludes week 9 episode 9 of our men's college volleyball weekly top 20 uh, Dan Ray say goodbye so whatever uh, Theo Edwards I'm son <laughs> Jay Hosick of George Mason, Brad Ross, Stratter of UC San Diego. Uh, best of luck to you this week. Look forward to catching your matches. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Asparo at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.